essence of these babies and they recognize him as their inherent parent. Does Horton abort any of the eggs along the way? No. No, I think it's the other one then. But the, that one's the one about him like caring about life. I guess he cares about life a lot. Horton cares a lot. My point is Horton has an ethos. The Lorax. That made sense. I didn't like the movie, but I mean it made sense while well, you would adapt the Lorax. Green Eggs and Ham has one question. Is this guy ever going to get the fuck over himself and eat green eggs and ham? And the answer is yes. Finally he does, I think. It's been a while since I read the book. This is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Kyle. This show is supposed to be about us watching the Big Bang Theory and trying to explain why other people watch it and what its problems are, but instead, Kyle's all fucking whacked out about green eggs and ham because he doesn't have enough things to be stressed out about in his life. Can we just be honest? The episode wasn't very interesting. No, it was pretty boring. I was kind of worried about recording today because I'm just like, God, there's just, it was fine. Like, there weren't any good jokes and nothing interesting happened, nor anything that controversial, unless we want to talk about the power dynamics and relationships. <sighs> yeah, I don't. Should I just jump, jump straight into the quick summary and then we see what happens? Yes. All right. So, in this episode, season three, episode 10. We're not going to play the game about the, the names anymore because I, I have confirmed uh, within myself fully that it sucks. But today's episode, is uh, the, the official title is The Gorilla Experiment. And uh, the reason for that is uh, Wallowitz started bringing Bernadette around the group. He's very, very excited. He has a girlfriend now and is showing her off and advertising his new relationship as much as he can. Uh, and she is uh, studying or has studied microbiology She's able to talk with Leonard on a, I guess, a professional level. Like, she's actually able to understand his work and is excited about it and wants to go see it. And Wallowitz gets insanely jealous about this, uh, makes vague threats to Leonard about how he's crazy and there's no telling what he'll do if uh, Leonard continues to spend time with Bernadette. Bernadette finds out, gets upset with Wallowitz, but then they make up. Waka waka doo doo, yeah, that's the end of that part. Meanwhile, Penny feels... Uh, vulnerable and ashamed because she cannot speak with Leonard. Uh, so really, this is all just about who wants to talk to Leonard this episode. Uh, and maybe that's why it's not that interesting, because who gives a shit? But um, Penny tries to get some education on physics from Sheldon, who wants to teach her the entire 2,600-year span of his own knowledge of physics from the ancient Greeks up to the Dutch researchers that he insists Leonard is just ripping off. Uh, it doesn't go well. The only thing that she really memorizes is that Fig Newtons are named after a small town in Massachusetts and not actually after uh, Mr. Newton, the fancy scientist uh, egghead himself. And, uh, and the episode ends with Bernadette watching the experiment and enjoying it and talking with Leonard about it. And then uh, Penny reciting some cockamamie nonsense that Sheldon told her to insult uh, Leonard in the most uh, erudite way possible. Uh, and then the episode ends. And that's it. You know, that one raises the question. How do we know the town in Massachusetts wasn't named after Isaac Newton? Yeah. I guess we have to research that now. But then, if it's named after the town and not after the man himself, that's still secondary naming. Yeah, but I mean... That's like, I named my kid after my uncle, whose own uh, name came from his grandfather but I didn't name my kid after my uncle's grandfather. I don't think it's transitive like that. I See, I think it is. I think you know. Well, let's put it this way. If you had a really cool, uh, really cool Uncle Hitler... Uh-huh. <laughs> his parents had sort, had sort of 
sort of some issues, you know, how, how comfortable would you be explaining that dynamic or making your child explain that dynamic for the rest of his life? Could you, could you repeat that in a clearer way? Because okay. I, don't, I don't know so what the fuck this, you're asking me right now. In this alternate universe, someone's really into the Nazi leader, Adolf Hitler. Yes. And so they named their kid Hitler. And so that kid, as a rebellion, probably against being named after Hitler. His first name's Hitler, by the way. So in this case, I guess he'd, if he's related to you, this is Hitler Hyde, the first we're talking about. So Hitler Hyde, named after Adolf Hitler... Uh, is actually a pretty cool guy, even though his parents are definitely neo-Nazis. Wait, how did this happen? <laughs> Why else would they name their kid Hitler? I don't know. Doesn't this imply that I'm the neo-Nazi all of a sudden, or is this my nephew or something? No, this is your uncle. So my uncle... Hitler Hyde. ...has a child, so my cousin is Hitler. Um, okay, fine. I was going to say you were the one who was naming your kid, making your decision. Would you name your kid after your cool uncle, Hitler Hyde? If he was cool enough, hell yeah. And I'd be like, we're taking it back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Finally, Hitler's going to make a positive change in this world. Uh, all right. Swastikas are going to be fun again. <laughs> um. Man, I, uh, I was weird. I was listening to a podcast recently where someone uh, was uncomfortable even hearing the word swastika and like wanted to leave like the, the show mid-episode because, because somebody was playing the character of Charlie Manson who has a swastika carved into his forehead. And so every time they reference the swastika, she's like, oh my God, there it is again. Really would rather not talk about that. And the, the word? The word swastika. <laughs> it's not a... Isn't a swastika like... Oh, this is me fucking... This is, I don't actually know this, but it's actually like a... Before the Nazis ruined it, it was just like a random... It's some like, sort of like sign of like luck or benevolence or something yeah. like that. But I think it was also usually done backwards. Then. Right. I so. remember that too. Because in Yu Yu Hakusho, there's a monk who had uh, one of those on his forehead. And the show never explained it to its English audience. So it's just like... I believe there was the same issue with one of the Pokemans yeah. having a swastika on it somewhere. Anyway, you know, I think we want to not talk any more about swastikas this episode before <laughs> we start picking up certain listeners. <laughs> Like, I don't know how it would get tagged, but just somewhere out there in the collective consciousness, someone's going to be like, I like the Big Bang Theory, and I'm pretty sure two white guys are talking about Hitler right now. I'm going to find it. <laughs> oh, brother. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, how'd you feel about the episode? I mean, I just it didn't go, like, once again, it's simultaneously an interesting conflict. Interesting, it's, in, it, like, these are not terrible ideas for the plots, like, what if Sheldon, for some reason, had to teach Penny physics? Or mm -hmm. what if Leonard got really jealous of, like, the connection between... You mean Wallowitz. Well, yeah, what if Wallowitz got really jealous of Bernadette's interest in Leonard's stuff? Those could go interesting places. There are probably cool jokes there. There are interesting scenes. Mm -hmm. We get none of that. No. But we do get uh, Sheldon pulling off another classic bazinga in this episode. And let me tell you, every time he says bazinga, I laugh. I'm on board with the bazingas. In fact, in this one, I almost feel like if they had picked either one and just stuck more with that, it would have been more interesting than trying to do both of the things. Even though, like, it ties them together well. Like, it sort of makes sense that the same inciting incident, you know, everybody's sitting around eating Chinese and, you know, Bernadette's talking with Leonard about... His physics experiment, it makes sense why well, that would lead where it does. 
you know, it's it's been a long time since we've played the game of uh, how would we make this episode better, but maybe it's time. That's this... what I'm suggesting, yes. Yeah, I was trying to, you know, frame it, but thanks thanks for nothing, bucko. <laughs> no, you know, I feel like feel like we've fallen into a rut where we're really negging each other in this episode, and I, I'm not sure, you know, let's dial it back. I'm, it's too I, late. I acknowledge that I'm contributing to the negativity. I'm coming right. in hot. <laughs> I'm gonna take it back to like a. I'm all fired up, Kyle. Before. We're buddies here. This is a. This is we're friends. I'm blowing my top. This is kind of like, oh my god, I really. <laughs> yes. I want to talk about this episode so little. I almost just started lapsing into a summary of the movie The Lighthouse. I really wanted to drag you into a conversation about which one of us is Robert Patterson and which one of of us is Willem Dafoe. I would so much rather do that than talk any more about this episode right now. Anyway, I, Lighthouse, it's a good movie. I'd like to ask you how this episode is like The Lighthouse, no, but I don't want to potentially ruin The Lighthouse for like anyone. The, us recording is like The Lighthouse. What? It's, I have to watch The Lighthouse now. <laughs> it's it's Willem Dafoe and Robert Patterson ta- trapped in a lighthouse isn't together. Isn't it Pattinson? Pattinson, yes. Okay. Right, Robert Patterson is, I think, someone completely different. If Probably. I um, think he's a writer. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, you're definitely Willem Dafoe. That's all I'm saying. All right. I'll, I'll take it. Um, I'm not going to say you're Robert Pattinson, but I'll, I'll be Willem Dafoe. That's fine. Um, but yeah, so if we were to make this episode better, one thing you already suggested was focusing on just one of the plots. Yes. And so now I'm imagining a scenario where, let's say... It's just about Sheldon trying to teach Penny physics. And as the episode goes on, Penny has to judge her own self-worth periodically by how much she's able to talk with Leonard about his work until eventually she realizes that she can't measure her own self-worth based on that. See, I was so uh, I do like that. Okay. Well, let's no, let's go with that. I have a I have my own thoughts. No, I want to hear yours, too. But first, so. Just so I understand what you're saying, basically, she keeps trying to approach Leonard and talk to him about uh, physics, and she keeps screwing it up, presumably, and she yes. just gets more and more despondent, because every time she thinks she has a handle on it, and maybe the miscommunications are really, like, awful, too. Like, she keeps she keeps just making such basic, basic misunderstandings about the nature of physics that's really awkward, but only to other physicists. Like, maybe she's actually talking with him, like, he's doing the middle of his experiment, and she comes in to talk to him about it, because she got a day off the Cheesecake Factory just to come observe his experiment, mm-hmm. but there are also a bunch of other scientists there who want to see the results of his experiment, so the whole time he's trying to actually do it, she's trying to explain what's going on to him like she understands it, but she's explaining it badly, and... He's torn because he wants to correct her, mm-hmm. but at the but same he wants time, to mean, he, he loves wants to her. keep the peace. Yeah, and so, but there are other scientists watching, so he's, he's, so the whole time, she's like, so it's basically, she's using bad analogies and things like that, and he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's sacrificing kind of. his own self-respect to appease her while his colleagues look on at what a dunce he sounds like. Well, except the payoff there would be after she walks out of the room, one of the other scientists would look from Penny to Leonard and be like, you know what? It's okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I get it. They, they, all of the other scientists would applaud. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, if we were in your shoes, son, I tell you. <laughs> couldn't have done that any better yeah. myself. Who the fuck cares about this experiment? What matters is getting laid. Yeah, okay. I feel satisfied with that plot. What, what was your idea for... Oh, I was saying, so 
Sheldon, as he quickly gives up on Penny in this episode, but in I feel like a more Sheldon esque way of approaching it was he'd be he'd give up on conventional educational techniques and move on to weird stuff that he found in like Leonard like psychology books, Skinner boxes as we mm. know he loves and stuff like that. So I just imagine at some point this ends with he strapped Penny to a chair that gives electric shocks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's giving her He's giving. It's just becoming increasingly disturbing in a sort of a comedic way. What is it from Clockwork Orange? I think it's the Ludovico technique. I think it is yeah. where he's got her eyes like gl- like clamped open yeah, and forcing her to watch yeah, uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos. Yeah, you could make it a cinematic callback to that. There's some Beethoven playing. Yeah, yeah. And 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 in that, if you're going that route, then when Leonard walks in, he's just, there's just Penny like taped to a chair. He's like. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. And But uh, then But then he's like, I'm so sorry that she that that uh Sheldon did that to you. But she's like, Yeah, it was it was horrible. Anyway, how's your experiment in determining the valences of various uh, subatomic particles through a through a uh an atmospheric array working? And he's like, Oh my god. And then uh Sheldon after that, uh well, Penny first starts to uh cudgel Leonard out of nowhere, and Sheldon's just like, Bazinga! I also taught her all about the ultraviolence. It's not like Clockwork Orange at all! <laughs> and, uh, well, I guess, I guess he, what is it, Alex? He eventually does break out of his programming and goes back into the ultraviolence again, if I remember right. I don't know, it's been so long since I've watched Clockwork Never Orange. Never seen it. And I've definitely, oh, we should watch it! I do, you know, it's, I like Stanley Kubrick. It's one of the ones I haven't seen yet. Yeah, well, buddy. All right, that's on the agenda. When now that uh, October is over and I don't have to make you watch horror movies with me anymore, we can get back into fancy stuff. Well, let's make it clear. Like you always say, you didn't make me watch horror movies. Watching Let the Right One In that was a great fucking experience. All right. Also, All right. Knife Plus Heart, kind of weird for us to watch together, but still a great fucking movie. Oh my god! All right, the episode is about this now. <laughs> So Knife Plus Heart is this movie that takes place in the late 70s in Paris, France, and uh, it's about murders that start happening in the underground gay pornography scene. And apparently Kyle is super uncomfortable watching that movie with me because he can't handle the thought of like, just, just watching dudes kiss on screen while we're sitting alone in a room together is just too much. It well, puts too just... many ideas in his little head. I... Now, see, now I feel like you're making me sound either repressed or homophobic. So. Uh, yeah, which is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making any conclusions, but I am making judgments. Look, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to play. It's just I, yeah. I don't. I was. T- I was feeling. I, well, I guess what you've done is you've come in at a level higher than me because I was saying I'm so proud that we were able to watch that movie and neither one of us got uncomfortable. But you were like, no, the very fact that you're saying that means on some level that you were uncomfortable watching mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And and that's right. Thank you for calling me out for it. I guess I need to interrogate that about myself. Well, I don't now. mean this for it to be a call out. I'm just meaning well, it's like too late because that's I feel like where we are. All right, call out and you're canceled. Eat butt. There we go. Uh, fun movie. <laughs> But what else about... I know, okay, let's... What if we tried to fix the other plot with Wallowitz and Bernadette, where uh, maybe Wallowitz gets to display how his insane jealousy translates into action. Like he starts making some goofy traps to, uh, like, Wiley Coyote stuff to try to capture Leonard or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was, that was actually because I was just thinking he straight up, like, sabotages him. 
That I think would be ooh. That's so that would be like the much more dramatic episode. He does straight up sabotage the experiment. Uh, Bernadette sees it. Uh, Leonard is ashamed. Bernadette now thinks uh, Leonard is a dunce. And then later on, when Leonard finds out that he was sabotaged, he has to decide whether or not to confront Bernadette and Wallowitz about it. Because either he can let it go, and uh, Wallowitz gets to spend time with Bernadette, who's no longer impressed by uh, Leonard's work anymore, or he can confront it, keep things clean, but then risk Bernadette being turned off by Wallowitz's ridiculous petty jealousy. Well, here's almost... So, Bernadette was rightfully, I feel like... uh, She's. They haven't done much to establish her character, but she definitely comes off a little weird. Um, well, the yeah, fact that she, she's, she's very she's into, literal. She and she's into Wallowitz, which on its face is just kind of weird. Yes, um, like he's done nothing to deserve that. But she does get upset when he he's like, "No, I don't like uh, I don't like you hanging out with Leonard. I feel like that makes me crazy." So that puts her off. But I almost feel like if she found out that Wallowitz had publicly humiliated Leonard and sabotaged his experiment just because he was that in love with her and irrationally motivated by the thought of her taking... I, I feel like she'd like that. So that would be that would be the twist for me is she totally finds out and she's just like, you know what? I'm cool with it. Not mm. cool with the jealousy, but I am cool with the you being willing to like explode uh, lab equipment because you care about me so much. Let's do more of that together. That would be similar to the end of the last episode where he did the ridiculous uh, music number. Exactly. At, yeah, and that's the kind of stuff she's into. <sighs> you know, if only we were big paid TV Hollywood writers, we'd... We'd alienate the audience so quickly. Yeah, we'd we'd pull a real freaks and geeks <laughs> where everyone's like, I think this is good, but it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> That's that's it. That's what that's what's holding me back. Um, anyway, you know, I think, I think why I even keep talking about this episode any longer? We've, because we've, it's our. Well, it's not we've our done job, our time. Job. No, we still we've not produced enough content yet. More content. No, I think we really literally have produced enough time at this point. Unless there's anything else about it you want to talk about. I don't know. It always feels like too short. I guess when I listen to it, it's. It's always the right length. Yeah, it but. never feels too short when I'm editing it. <laughs> yeah, never that's like... Rarely that's, feels like I don't have enough to work with. <laughs> well, it's... I'm just trying to make sure... It, yeah, I'm just trying to make sure that there's no gems left unexplored. Let's see. Raj isn't really in this episode, is he? No, he, uh, he does at one point whisper into Sheldon's ear, Oh, snap. And the joke being that Sheldon is super grossed out by his hot, wet breath. Um, Which I guess makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, also, also he beats Sheldon at Mario Kart and is uh, and dunks on him pretty hard. Dunks on him pretty hard. And I do think that is like the one thing we're learning about Raj is that his defining feature is basically extreme arrogance whenever he can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Like he's actually, in some ways, he's a. I don't want to say like a narcissist because Sheldon's a narcissist, but he is like, he's just arrogant. He's just like a jock trapped in like an awkward Indian man's body. Yeah, he's maybe I, not necessarily a jock, but you like hyper competitive nerds are out there too, and I don't like that either. Yeah, because they're hyper competitive about even worse things like board games. Oh yeah, that's rough. Oh yeah, he's super. That's what he he's like that. 
He's, yeah, he's playing like he's got to play like the status games, even though they're all losers. Like he's always mm. like, "Okay, we're all losers, but we all know I'm the coolest loser, right?" It's like when you're the fat kid and you get made fun of, and so you try to direct the bully towards a fatter kid than you. Yeah, yeah, or the one who smells really bad or has incredible acne. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's always somewhere out there that has to be someone out there has to be lower status than you, and it's in this case it's. Sheldon, because of his shitty Mario Kart skills. Yes. If you, if that's if that's the one thing you can get away with in this world, God damn it, you have to take it and run. I guess. Also, does this episode? Because this episode goes a long way towards establishing that Penny is incapable of basically learning anything about physics. But slash Sheldon might also be a terrible teacher. Oh yeah, more, it definitely does. Establish it's a combination. It. Yeah, Sheldon is obviously doing a terrible job of teaching. So that's that's probably you're right. That has more to do with it because. I for, I started to say one thing we didn't discuss, but we definitely both noted at the beginning of the episode when Bernadette comes in, she tries to sit in Sheldon's spot, and Penny explains word perfect why Sheldon doesn't let anyone like sit in his spot. Like exactly, basically, she recites the justification that Sheldon uses for why the spot is like perfectly geographically located. Yes, which you know that is fine because I think by some point. It's just going to be beaten to all their heads, and any one of them could potentially do that. No, that's, yeah, it just means she's been indoctrinated yes. into the group. And she seems proud of herself for it, and I think that's, that's the, the that thing that's the upsetting. Yeah. We were all like, like, when he's like, oh, there's hope for you, and she smiled. Like, I get that that was just like a sitcom thing, yeah, but it's in that the... look was actually the most horrifying. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying the Big Bang Theory is secretly a horror story. Where Sheldon has never stopped doing his Pavlovian experiments, and we just have to no, wait until the next to moment where we find them. out what Penny was actually calculate like uh, controlled, programmed to do. There we go. It's like he he's not always in control, but he is definitely the devil, and he is slowly breaking all of them. It's like some some episodes he loses. We've definitely seen Sheldon lose before, so it's not like he's perfect. But it's just like the longer they're all in his sphere. The more he's like Cthulhu, it's like he doesn't have to win on a day-to-day basis. He's no. just out there and he's growing very, ever stronger. Yeah, his very existence, the very fact that they're aware of him, is enough to drive most people mad. Yeah, yeah, they're just constantly making sanity checks, and sometimes they win their. But overall, that madness meter—it's just filling up over time. That would also explain why, like three times in this episode, Sheldon's eyes went hollow and he just started going Dagon, Dagon. Uh, it did happen. I saw that. Yes, confirmed. Okay, now I feel like we've talked enough about the episode. All right. Satisfied uh, my own insecurities that we were not undelivering content to our listeners who are very concerned about the Big Bang Theory and would feel very betrayed if somehow we made it through an episode and didn't talk, exhaust all the possibilities of what happened in it. I don't know how the world is going to react when the show meets an untimely end because neither of us can handle any more Big Bang Theory over the next 10 years. Uh, we're, we're going to be doing a terrible public disservice at that point. Anywho, yeah, this show is the Big Bang Theory Theory. If you like it, tell other people about it. If you don't like it, tell other people about it. If you're indifferent towards it, tell other people about it. We're on iTunes and Facebook and Spotify, and we've got a Twitter and all these other things. Just search for us and then go down to, like, the third or fourth page of Google search results. <laughs> and there we are, waiting to be listened to. Uh, if you search Blueberry... Well, actually, that doesn't work either. If you, you have to search, like, Blurberry or however they spell yeah, it. Yeah, the stylistic spelling of it. And Big Bang Theory Theory, which basically is just say, if you already know how to find our show, it's really easy to find us on Google. If you don't know how to find it, it'll take two tries, three tries. 
Anywho, um, also you can go to bbttpodcast.com. That'll direct you to our Facebook group where we do post the episodes every uh, two weeks is how often we do them. Uh, and then you can subscribe from there too. There's many ways to find us and stay listening. Uh, that said, let's move on to our, our nerd thing of the week. Would you prefer to go first or shall I? Uh, you can go first. Okay. I'm going to recommend a game that initially came out five or six years ago. I just uh, downloaded the the Pro HD re-release a few days ago. Uh, and that game is called Dragon's Crown. Um, oh, God. Oh, what? I mean, no, it's fine. No, what's... No, Kyle. We're, we're negging each other all day. What's wrong with my Dragon's Crown recommendation before I even get to talk about it? There's nothing wrong. I just can't believe you'd recommend it. Why? You haven't even played it. Why you gotta be like this? Uh... Our friendship used to mean something. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so it came out, like I said, like back in like... 2013 and 2014 it was a ps4 game um and it's actually it's a pretty simple game but it's a lot of fun it's it's a classic like four player beat-em-up uh except it has a lot of magic and fantasy elements and serious role-playing elements so uh you do have a level system which means if you go into a level that's way over your head kind of regardless of how skillful you may be you're probably going to get your ass kicked um and instead, the game wants you to do gradual, almost Diablo-like progression. You keep going through the same areas, killing more and more enemies who get stronger and stronger, and in turn, you get bigger and bigger loots. Uh, the further you can go through levels without having to stop in town to heal or without dying or anything like that, the better loots you can get, the more points and so on. Um, and it's also a lot of fun because the art is gorgeous. Um, it's made by uh, Vanillaware, who had other beautiful games come out, such as um, Odin Sphere. Uh, that's the only one I can remember off the top of my head, even though I've played a bunch of their other games. But yeah, they're, they're known for having like really beautiful, detailed 2D artwork. Um, and this game, I was playing as, as Kyle came over today, and he immediately like, oh, isn't that the one with the controversial artwork? And it is, because this game goes really over the top with its, with its horny fantasy artwork, where all of the men are gigantic, like six foot wide broad shouldered muscular superheroes and then all the women are just nothing but boobs it's something that i don't know you could find offensive if you don't like the objectification of men and women especially the women but i don't know it's a video game dudes i don't give a shit it's fun it, it looks great it plays great uh and it's something that i think it's really easy to just kind of like honestly zone out to and have fun beat things up like if you're sick of playing strategy games or playing first-person shoot-em-ups and you just want to beat up a bunch of things with your axe and get mightier. So I will say, I will. I was giving you, a, I was jokingly giving you a hard time about the, the artwork. But actually, I mean, my, basically the best critiques I've said, heard about, about how to judge artwork in video games and like the cheesecake aspect of it is like, if it clashes with the tone of the game, mm -hmm. then you know there's reasons to, for it to discourse or if it sexualizes people who's like if it sexualizes minors right but that's not going on here and also the tone of the game is just like silly dungeon beat em up rpg so yes. so there's really nothing there's nothing wrong that's like someone was like uh people complain that the outfits in mortal Kombat are sometimes objectifying and this video game critic i like was like you realize mortal Kombat is about like a tournament of ninjas and robots and and movie stars like fighting each other 
over the fate of yeah. like whether Earth gets annexed by like dragon people. That's also like um when Bayonetta two came out, Polygon gave it a mixed review. They're like, We love every single thing about this game, it's incredible. Gameplay's fantastic, better than the first one, it's all wonderful. But Bayonetta sure is sexualized, isn't she? And she's like, This is a game where you're basically a witch who's a stripper. Like, yeah, she's sexualized. Like, I guess you don't have to like that type of game. And I'm not saying you can't critique it. Like, you can say why it is that she is like that and why that might be harmful or why it might not be harmful the in, like, a bigger cultural al- context. Yeah. But The absence of alternatives is probably disheartening sometimes. Like, you would like there to be other kinds of other kinds of portrayals of women in video games. That's true. Um, but, I don't know. With Bayonetta, I find yeah. that game... We completely criticism proof. I, yeah, I see the cardboard cutout you have right here in the corner of Bayonetta, right yes. half naked right now. We all know how you feel about Bayonetta, which I've taped together with a couple other cardboard cutouts, so it's roughly 3D, and I can reach around it. That's, <laughs> we all have our things we need to do to get through these cold winter days in Los Angeles. So yeah, I'll just wrap it up there. Dragon's Crown or Dragon's Crown Pro on the PS4, which is. HD and 4K and all those other things. It looks way, way better than it did on the PS3. Highly recommend. Uh, have a fun day beating things up. Kyle, what's your nerdy recommendation? I don't know. I feel like I've seen a lot of good movies lately. I feel like I should recommend one of them, but not going to. Um, all right. Well, I'll say Lighthouse was pretty good, but very weird. Uh, Let the Right One In, which we watched the other day, was transcendent. Um, so best vampire movie I've ever seen, I think. Uh, it's hard to imagine a. It's such a good vampire movie. It's hard to imagine a better vampire movie. Yeah, that's basically how I felt about that. Um, but I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to spoil anything about it. It's just very good. Um, so instead, I'm going to talk about Digimon. Oh goodness! All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, this this isn't even a plug for like a specific game or cartoon or incarnation. I just want to make a case for if remember remember Digimon. Remember the 90s? Is this a bit? <laughs> no, I'm just, everybody always talks about Pokemon. But what about the Digimon, man? Those were those existed. It is, I feel like I... Do you actually want to talk about Digimon, or are you just like... <laughs> I can't tell where you're going right now. So for context, uh, they, my H, they made a H... Well, it isn't even an HD. Basically, they ported... Uh, my favorite Digimon game of all time, Digimon Cyber Sleuth. They ported it to the Switch, and I've been playing a lot of it. Uh, it's basically a very simple RPG. Uh, it's so simple, in fact, on the Switch, that because there's, like, basically you can level up your Digimon uh, by just leaving them in storage, and you can run your Switch 24-7 in hold mode, and it's, like, it's still running. So, basically... I'm leveling up and making my characters unstoppable by not playing the game, which is a little weird. Um, but all that is basically just the, no. Who gives a fuck about like the the story or the which is actually fairly interesting or whatever the characters. The whole game is just an excuse to go through a huge catalog of Digimon and remember all your favorite ones from all the different favorite shows. It just got me thinking about how much I like Digimon. <laughs> Like, you, you keep la- I get it. It's such a weird... Like, basically, there's a very... So, for context, I've, I haven't explained it. You should have... If you hadn't immediately challenged me, I, w- I probably would have started with that history, which is that it's important to understand, back in the 90s, when Pokemon was first a thing, there was this other thing that came across it 
that came like from a completely different direction. It basically evolved out of like Tamagotchi, um, which were these little like electronic like watch, wristwatch app things that had like little virtual pets that you would feed on it. And someone had the bright idea, well, those, but you can battle them, which is very similar to Pokemon, but um, mm-hmm. um, quite similar. <laughs> yes, similar, but very. Uh, oh god, I've lost the thread of this recommendation so hard. So, Digimon Cyber Sleuth, Digimon generally. Yeah, there's a, there was a great Digimon anime, and that's but basically. So the original, um, it wasn't even a video game. The original like Digimon like little toy that you bought was not that interesting, but they turned it into a pretty amazing like classic like shonen anime in like the early 2000s or the late 90s or whenever it came out. Like the sweet spot of when I was a kid. So basically, anyone my age who grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons, there's a good chance watch the Digimon cartoon. And it was so much better than the Pokemon cartoon, mainly because it was written for a slightly older audience and had more of like classic narrative. It had a, like a story and B more like stakes and classic narrative tropes and like emotional and character development and stuff. Um, but the, but the other main difference is unlike in uh, Pokemon where you can collect thousands of them, the whole, in the, in the shows at least, Every person got one Digimon, and it did evolve into, like, bigger, more awesome Digimon, but that was, like, a superpower that it had, and that would go back to, like, its normal cute size. So it's basically, like, instead of being, like, a pet, it's more like, what if your best friend was, like, this Muppet who could also turn into God, you know, and go Super Saiyan, you know, but you could still talk to it about your feelings. And, yeah, really like it. I like that, too. When you explain it the, the way you just last did, as having a... A pocket friend, God, buddy. Uh, that makes it so much more appealing than any of the Pokemans. No, it's so much. But that's basically what I'm saying. I don't. I get the appeal of po- the universal appeal of Pokemon. Digimon is and has always been a superior yet more niche alternative. That's all I'm saying. All right. Is there so? Would you recommend any specific game? Would you recommend Cyber Sleuth or something else? I, I, Cyber Sleuth is only for people who are already like. That's the problem with all of the games. Is there? There are several, like, Digimon World games that are also pretty good, but they're all for people who are already way into the franchise because they basically assume... Like, the whole reward of playing that game is leveling up the characters into, like, the the monsters that you remember, like, being awesome in the show. So, like, if you spend all this time trying to get, like, a super rare Digimon, that means nothing outside of the context. So, really, you know, go on Crunchyroll or wherever and watch the original cartoon show. There's also, so there were two seasons of that, and then there was another one called Tamers, which was super weird and dark. Huh. That one, so if you have a slightly more uh, fucked up sensibility, that one is probably the one for you. All right. So you can either play a game about capturing little monsters, which uh, turn into big, scary, godlike creatures for a little while, or you can play a game about medieval knights and Amazons and such with gigantic muscles and titties uh, fighting skeletons and ghouls. Uh, Either way, I think that's fun. Um, Man, you know, it's weird. You usually don't recommend video games. It's fun to hear. I mean, I recommend too many. I need to get more literate. You have no no other cultural framework whatsoever. That's just who I am. Yeah. I don't really know anything about anything except for uh, some button pushings. And why I do recommend video games, they're usually, like, well-established, like, everybody knows this game. So this is probably my most niche video game recommendation ever. Wow. I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you were able to bring something so wholesome and so close to your own heart out into the world for everyone else to experience.